0: If you've ever had to check more than one box when it comes to your identity, then you know that any inquiry about your ethnic background requires a follow-up question. I'm Steph Stock, and each week my guests and I have conversations in color as we explore the gray areas of identity in an America that is mixed up about its race relations. This is Mixed With What. I want you to take a moment to think about something you love, something you like, and something you could kind of do without. I love to hear from this community, so don't be shy about sharing your answers with me on social or even in the comment section when you leave your next five-star review. See what I did there? Okay, but for real, when I think about these three things, from my least favorite to the thing that sparks the most joy, I'd say my do without is, and this is an unpopular opinion, but my do without is definitely shopping. Shopping typically is not a very fun activity for me. And anyone who knows me knows that I don't like shopping of any kind. I don't like grocery shopping. It's freezing inside the grocery store. Christmas shopping, I am the present, okay? I don't like shopping for clothes or furniture or really anything that requires me to make a decision. It's not an excuse, but I'm a Gemini. I tend to be indecisive. And I feel like shopping requires a use of limited resources like time and money. And I don't know, I could just think of a lot of things I'd rather do. But then there's this long list of things that I do like, including jumpsuits, one-piece sets, and made-for-you looks. Again, I'm indecisive, so the idea of having one piece of clothing that works from top to bottom alleviates a lot of my anxiety. And when I think of the things I love, that list is long as well. But at the top of my love list are stories. I love books, I love movies, TV shows, gossip. I want to hear all about how your day went and I actually started an entire podcast so I could listen and learn and share more stories. Now, one of those stories is the story of my next guest, Nezrin. She has effortlessly taken the things that I love as well as the things that I love to hate and made an entire e-commerce brand out of it. And she's killing it. Nezrin is an entrepreneur, an educator, and a multi-hyphenate in every sense of the word. Her mixed identity goes beyond her ethnic background and manifests in her professional career. She's the owner of the online store Mixed by Nazrin that's full of bright colors and bold prints, as well as a clear message about what it means to be mixed.
1: I tried to expand like the definition of mixedness where it can, you know, mean cultural mixedness, but it can also mean, you know, professional mixedness or creative mixedness.
0: When I found Nazrin's store, I was so excited about the selection of jumpsuits, but what really sold me was her story. Nazrin has a blog that documents the journey of self-identity and solo entrepreneurship, and an entry from June 2021 inspired me to learn more. We're not half, halfies, or hapas. We're not a quarter or three-fourths or any other arbitrary fraction of our identities. Dividing ourselves and our cultures into pieces, using words like half or part, only reinforces what we feel deep down, that we don't have full access to any single part of our lineage. But we're not fragments, fractions, bits, or broken pieces. We are full. Those are Nazrin's beautiful words, and this episode is full of Nazrin's lessons and little tidbits that apply to so much more than building a business. It's a new year, and I'm sure our goals run the gamut, but my hope is that this episode inspires you to dig a little deeper and explore the winning mindset that tells you, you are enough. Listen as we talk about what it means to be mixed... What it takes to be an entrepreneur, and what it's like to build a brand that exists outside the box.
1: My name is Nazrin Jafari. I'm Japanese, Iranian, American, and I'm the founder, CEO, and designer of Mix. The jumpsuit silhouette, it's just something I, I love a jumpsuit because it's a one and done outfit. It's really, you put it on and you're like ready to go out the door.
0: I completely agree. My favorite thing because you don't have to worry about finding top and bottom or matching, but you can still have all the personality with it. And uh, did you consider yourself a fashion person before? Because I feel like the fashion industry can be a little bit intimidating if you're not, you know, in it, in it.
1: Yeah, I definitely did not consider myself a fashion person before. Um, Definitely always somebody who cared about style and like my personal style, not necessarily trend, but like how I dressed. I've always really cared about that since, like, I can remember since, like, elementary school, really. Like, I would go to school um, wearing, like, one outfit underneath my other outfit that my parents, like, because my parents, like, wouldn't want me to wear a tank top or, like, whatever. So, like, I would kind of be rebellious in that way. I cared about what I wore. Um, But, yeah, I mean, I also think, I think from the outside, it, it looks like people in the fashion space are, like, it's very intimidating. And I would say I also agree with that. I still feel that. But I think a lot of people who are in fashion didn't expect that they would be.
0: Correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's a difference between building a brand and building a business. Yeah, I agree. And did you have to make that decision between wanting a business and wanting a brand?
1: Yeah, I think so, definitely. And it, for me, um, I always wanted something that was more long term, and that was a brand and a business. I think the difference is like a brand has, it has authority and communicates value because you are a part of this, you know, brand or community. And so it takes it's what I think about is sales is a sharp is a short term play, and brand is a long term play because brand requires a lot of time to be created and to be um, tested and sales, you know, you can make a sale today and there you go. Brand is something you really have to be in it for the long haul for.
0: What are the elements of the mixed brand that you really feel like are the core values of the brand?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think um, a big part of it is first of all, the product. So the color and The just the identifiable pattern. So I have, a, you know, people come up to me and say like, oh, I saw like somebody wearing your piece somewhere or they'll send me a photo like, you know, they're in in somewhere out in public and they'll see someone wear mixed and take a sneaky photo and send it to me. So I think like that's one element of it is like recognizable product and print and that these prints have stories behind them and things that people can connect with to have kind of like a deeper resonance with. So I think that's part of it. Um, I think that there's uh, like a writing element Uh, here. We say like words. Um, And, you know, I started out when I was creating the brand, just writing these weekly newsletters that were very like blog Bloggy, very open, very personal. Um, you know, not really much strategy. It was more so me wanting to share the process and share the story of around what I was doing um, and how I was building mixed and the challenges I was going through. And it's it's gone through that kind of stuff, it's gone through breakup stuff, it's gone through family stuff. And it all kind of loosely centers around this idea of being mixed and navigating, you know, a mixed identity. And I think that even though it has nothing to do with selling product. Um, and nothing to do really with fashion or clothes, um, it has, it ties the people in our community together around similar values of embracing mixedness. So I think that's also been a big, a big piece of it. And then I think the last piece would be our in-person events, um, which has, you know, brought people together in the studio, in person, created connections locally. So yeah, I think all those things together, plus time, plus product creates brand.
0: That's incredible. And that's one of the things actually when I was discovering the brand is the newsletter and the blog, I feel like was so is really vulnerable. And it does have that element of story that I as a mixed person, someone who identifies as mixed, really could connect to. Did you have to make that decision to be vulnerable? And was it ever scary? It gets a little bit
1: scarier as the newsletter gets bigger, because there are a lot of people now that I just don't know but I honestly just in my mind I just keep it very anonymous like I don't think about anybody I try not to think about anybody specific reading the newsletter because if I think about like oh you know my partner's parents are reading it or like you know whoever it is then sometimes I can psych myself out so I try to write it and hit send and I don't look like I I forget it ever happened after that. (laughs)
0: I love that note to self because it can be. What is it? You can't be creative and a critic at the same time. Yeah. So when I came across your brand, a few things that stood out to me was first of all, of course, the color and the design, so beautiful. Um, and then obviously the name mixed. But I didn't want to make the assumption that just because you were calling it mixed, that that was a direct reflection of you or what it was about. So when I did some digging, I was super excited to see. That, that actually is what Mix is about, but I want to hear from you more about your brand and why, why you started it and why you chose the name Mix, because to me it seems like a little bit on the nose, which I absolutely love. So I want to know how it's an expression of what it is that you create.
1: Yeah. I mean, I found that for myself personally, throughout my life, I felt very mixed, whether it's been culturally or professionally or even creatively in the types of designs I like to create. So I don't like to, you know, keep myself into a single box. And the idea of mixed is about embracing all these different parts of our identity and to accept all of them as who we are, as opposed to having to silo our identity into neat different boxes.
0: Have you always had that outlook on being mixed where it's a positive thing to be celebrated not fitting in a box? Or is that something that you developed over time?
1: You know, I think they've definitely developed over time. When I was younger, growing up, um, my dad is Iranian and my mom was Japanese and they had and I grew up in the U.S. in L.A. And so there was a lot of different kind of cultural norms in the household. And I think that was and also my parents were very different. Um, and I think that navigating the, their differences and what their expectations of me were, um, was tricky, but ultimately what I've been able to really appreciate as an adult is how both of their characteristics, I think have really
0: balanced me out. For sure. Absolutely. And when people ask you how you identify, what do you typically say?
1: Yeah. So I would say I'm Japanese and Iranian. That's typically what I'll say. I should say American because that's obviously a huge part of my identity growing up here. So Japanese, Iranian, and I grew up in LA kind of thing.
0: Yeah. And when there's so many intersections, I think, to your identity, which we all have so many intersections to our identity, it can feel really confusing to just try to put one category or one label on it. Yeah. I've come to a journey with this podcast because I used to feel kind of funny saying I'm mixed and now I celebrate it in a way because I'm like, it actually... Is the thing that's closest to, you know, articulating me in all of my different ways. Yeah. How would you say your parents and their cultures were different?
1: My dad is Iranian and comes from a big family of 10 siblings, and so, um, you know, he was super family-oriented. We had family parties every weekend. He loved to chat, and he didn't mind being late places, and just like in general, a little bit more of like a fluid, outgoing person. And my mom came from a really small family. Uh, Most of the family members were really kind of estranged, so not as many kind of strong family values there Um, really prefer to keep to herself really cared about everything being in the right place at the right time Um, and so yeah like one was very open and maybe a little bit more chaotic and one was really like neat and organized and everything had its place and so I have I think both of those characteristics I think probably from my parents and my upbringing
0: I'm curious how those characteristics play into your career because to me, that sounds like the life of an entrepreneur where you need to have a bit of a balance. So what have you taken from that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think so definitely like from my, my dad, actually he has his own small business and I think that definitely probably influenced a little bit about what I, you know, believed that was possible or what I was able to see an example of growing up. But I think the whole like entrepreneur, like move fast, break things, um, is something I really identify with and something that I think maybe his character um, instilled in me more is this, this concept of just like, just go out there and do it. You can do anything that you set your mind to and uh, like it doesn't have to be perfect. Um, whereas my mom is kind of more of the refinement side of doing everything exactly the way it needs to be done. And so I find um, when I first in the in the early days of going from zero to one as a founder, you really need a little bit of that um, chaotic energy and the ability to like put something, put like a MVP together, a minimum viable product and not worry too much if it's perfect because it will not be perfect in your first iteration, but you just have to get it out there. Um, And I think as you move on after you hit that like that zero to one phase that one phase as you move to scale beyond that you need to start adding that refinement and adding those processes in and I think that's kind of where I am now is trying to hone in a little bit on more of that like chaotic founder energy and, and move a little bit more into refinement and process.
0: I know that you started off as an educator and now you're educating in the realm of e-commerce, which I love that all of your different identities and careers have come together in a way. And I think that's something for a lot of multi-hyphenate and multiracial people. Um, it's very difficult to kind of see all the different ways when you're doing a lot of different things to see how they might come together. So I'm curious with you when things started coming together? Were you like, oh, this makes sense? Or uh, along the journey when you were kind of gathering your lessons and gathering your experience, did it feel confusing or have you always known you've been on the right path, so to speak?
1: Um, I think I tried to focus a little bit as opposed to taking a long view on things, thinking about I'm doing this thing right now. Am I engaged with it? Am I curious about it? Am I? It's not about Am I happy? Because sometimes you're really engaged and it's hard and you might not be happy. But, like, is this thing, am I excited to do this thing? You know, really, it's like, am I engaged? Am I being stretched? And so it wasn't really like, am I going to like this in five years? It's like, do I like this now? And I find that, um, and again, like is not always the best. Word. I'm going to use the word engaged. Am I engaged now? And when the answer is yes, I keep going. And if the answer is no and it's no for too long, that's when I will stop doing something. Okay. Um, and so it's really like my I, I really believe in like, you know, just putting one foot in front of the other as opposed to creating like a, you know, a massive blueprint that I have to hold myself for to 10 years because I said one day that in 10 years I want to do X because maybe, you know, that route changes, the path changes. Um, so really just being present to where I am each day.
0: Yeah, it sounds like living in the present moment has served you best.
1: I think it's really just something um, I've come to terms with over time, because I think that there is a concept that like, you know, if I do this thing, then one day I will feel X. And I don't necessarily, That is, that is definitely true in some cases, but I don't want to put in all this work now to hopefully one day feel something. I think I want to make sure that what I'm doing today is the thing that I am engaged with. And as long as you are true to that every day, then over time that will stack up and that will lead you on the right path. You know, like we can think that, you know, I want to be x thing in the future and it may not be in practice what you actually want to do and sometimes it's difficult to admit that to yourself because you've already maybe gone down the path of trying to be x thing and you know you feel like you have these sunk costs like I went to school I went to undergrad for education all the networks I created were in education I thought I was going to start a school I thought that I'd maybe end up going into politics um, like in the education realm um, one day and I went down that path for like, you know, five, six years because I had four years of college and two years after that. And um, it could be hard after that point to think, to say like, this actually isn't the thing I want to do anymore because I've already spent so much time and, you know, not to mention money doing that. But, um, you know, ultimately for me, I found that like making the change and doing the thing you are actually engaged with today uh, is what actually course corrects you onto the right path.
0: Yeah. It takes a lot of courage and bravery, I think, to change your mind and own that decision. I would love to know more um, as to why you chose to articulate it as engaged, because I think that is a bit more accurate, but I'd like to hear your thoughts behind that.
1: Yeah. I think that um, sometimes you are working on something and it's really hard and it doesn't feel good. And sometimes when it doesn't feel good, that might make you think you don't like it. When it's actually just the discomfort of challenge and growth, Mm. you know, so that's why I say engaged as opposed to like, but, you know, oftentimes when you're working on something challenging and you're stretching yourself, I think we often do like that feeling. But, you know, I want to, I think sometimes there can be a focus on having like passion or being happy in a job and that might be the case some days. But it may not be the case all days, and to I think hold yourself to I think it's an unrealistic expectation to think that you're going to be like happy and passionate every day because the reality is that with any job, there's going to be difficult moments, there's going to be really tedious moments and just moments where it's like you're just you're putting in the reps. That's a majority honestly of most jobs, whether you're an entrepreneur or not, is just putting in the reps and doing the work every day. It's not sexy, but yeah. you got to keep doing it. That's part of the job.
0: Do you have anything that really grounds you in the times where you're like, I'm not enjoying this right now, but I want to keep pushing forward?
1: Yeah, some of sometimes it's really just um, acting despite what I'm feeling. And oftentimes the action actually helps me move out of the feeling. Um, and sometimes it is um, allowing myself to feel like, Ugh, like this is just so like, I'm so over this. And telling myself it's okay to feel like that, because it's a lot to do every single day. And if I wasn't allowing myself to just get over it sometimes for a couple days or a week, then I think that I would, you know, probably get more like overwhelmed. I think it's just accepting that it's part of it. Anything that you're doing, like anything that you're living and breathing, you're going to be over it in some phases and some parts of the year. And it's fluid, it's up and down. And When I have a down moment, it's like, all right, well, this will just, an up will follow at some point. So.
0: I feel like we follow along on your learning journey because you're so transparent about what is it you're learning. Um, But if there's anybody out there who wants to build a brand, start a business, or just do something new that they've never done before, do you have any um, tips on like how you acquired the skills that you have now to help you be successful?
1: Yeah. So I would actually don't even start with skill and start first with your, any kind of personal barrier. So first figure out why you haven't done it yet. And I think a lot of people will say, well, it's because I don't know how to do X. That's probably not the reason you haven't started because you can Google how to do X. Um, it's more so that I'm afraid, I'm afraid if I do this thing and it fails, everyone's going to see that. Or I'm afraid if I leave my job and I try this thing, I'm going to lose all my money. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really more so about figure out why you haven't done it yet. Address that, like address that belief or concern or fear. And once you've moved through that, then you will be, then you will do what you need to do to figure out the skill, which is oftentimes Googling, you know, for how to create a Facebook ad or how to like learn how, you know, graphic design or reaching out to somebody who does know how to do those things. But I really do think it, it comes first.
0: Yeah. I'm hearing a lot of mindset and a lot of things that really apply beyond the scope of business or work, but just apply to life in general. Is that something that you share with your team and the individuals that you rely on to like get your work done? Sometimes you do have to be more disciplined. You have to find the action because these are really, you know, special gems that I think we can apply to all aspects of our life.
1: Yeah, 100%. I mean, I think it's it's definitely mindset that just been cultivated by doing. Um, By being in the situation, you know, facing a challenge and then figuring out how to get through it uh, definitely has been the way of cultivating the mindset. And I, I will say that like entrepreneurship is largely just your mindset and has much less to do about your skill because you can learn skills along the way. It's more about your personality and your character, your resilience I'll also say that, you know, entrepreneurship is, I would say, almost 100% mindset and character and resilience It has a lot less to do with the skills that you have because skills can be learned and picked up along the way. It's more so about, can you get out of your own way? Can you get over your fear of risk, your fear of uncertainty, your fear of embarrassment so that you can go on and do the damn thing, figure out the skill, launch the product, share the thing with the world? Yeah. You know what I'm saying?
0: So I'm wondering, like, what skills have you found to be most helpful in investing your time in learning?
1: Hundred percent. This is the thing I'll tell, like, any any entrepreneur I'm chatting with is sales. Sales is the lifeblood of any business. So you need to learn how to make a sale. Depending on what your business looks like, making a sale looks very different. It can you can have the type of business where a sale a sale is. You know, you have to bring a client on board and do a branding project with them, which means you need to be good at networking or doing cold emails or cold calls. For us, we do e-commerce. And so you need to get good at running paid ads profitably, you know, or acquiring customers, building a brand, building, you know, email engagement so that you can get people to want to buy our stuff. So that's ultimately, I think, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are either like marketing people or product people. Obviously, you need both to be able to sell something with like longevity. But I would say like learning how to make a sale is the number one skill of an entrepreneur getting started.
0: When you were like, I want to do a business, was e-commerce the immediate step? Or did you think about all of your options?
1: E-commerce was never like a thing I knew about. It's like a definitely a world I've stumbled in and I'm like quite deep. I had previously like... You know, I'd been a teacher, and so in some ways, it's like a service-based job. Um, after I was a teacher, I did some kind of freelance design work, and so that was a little bit more service-based. So I really wanted to have the experience of a product-based business um, and seeing how I would be able to scale that. Um, so yeah, a lot of it really had to do with the fact that I wanted a physical product, and because of like the generation we're in, it has made sense to sell online. You know, when I started out all of this, did I know that it was going to be like e- like that it was called e-commerce? Like, no, not really. But it's like, OK, well, everyone sells shit online these days. So like I can make something physical. I could sell it online, figure out how to ship it. And yeah, ultimately, that was what I was getting into was
0: e-commerce. How did you determine what you wanted your product to be? Because you could sell anything online. Your items are so beautiful and just like bright and bold. And so I'm curious about some of the decisions that got you to developing that product.
1: Thanks. Um, I So I started out with face masks in the pandemic. And that was like the really obvious, like the really clear thing to do because we were in the pandemic and I had these prints that I designed and I could, you know, I turned them into fabric and the fabric turns into a mask. Um, obviously, that wasn't going to last forever because, you know, that was a short lived period. And The reason, I mean, I could have gone into housewares, I could have gone into stationery, like there's a lot of different types of products I could have gone into. But for me, um, I always come back down to these kind of three things I try to do in my life, which is to make people think, feel and do. And I think that's largely why I went into education. Um, And those are the things you can kind of do in a classroom. And for me, clothes really accomplished that. Um, because they're such a big part of our identity and how we move through the world and how we feel about ourselves. Um, I really like things that have high impact and high touch with people. So like I always give the example, like I wouldn't sell toothbrushes because it's just not, it just doesn't doesn't interest me. It doesn't excite me. I love consumer. I love like human psychology. I love behavior. And I think that clothes
0: and fashion just really lives in that space. So what is it that you see for the mixed community?
1: Hmm. Um, I think I could speak more confidently for the brand, but I, um, you know, I'm, (laughs) I'm excited for, like I said, our fall collection launch. And we have, you know, we have ideas to do things like panels and, you know, different kind of more like intimate events that are not focused around shopping. I would love to fold back in these ideas of around like, you know, hosting a panel, having people get together, network, chat, where we can connect around, like ideas and concepts around mixedness that don't necessarily have to do with like buying the clothes or, you know, making a sale.
0: When I was creating this podcast, part of the reason why I created it is because I was having a lot of conversations in 2020. I was realizing that the conversations were kind of dark, maybe sad, um, really based on like trauma, which there's an element of that that definitely I want to acknowledge. And I think that's only one part of people's story. So I'm curious how you celebrate that mixed identity and beyond, beyond the brand, but what part of you wanted to, um, like, look at this as like a celebration and how, how you honor that?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think definitely just in like, and I don't know if this is, by making it about the brand, but the product and the color and a pattern of it, like the point is like, you are standing loud and proud in that statement that you are mixed. Um, so yeah, that's definitely a a part of it. And I think for me, I tried to expand like the definition of mixedness, where it can you know mean cultural mixedness, but it can also mean, you know, professional mixedness or creative mixedness. Um, yeah. There's a lot or just even like or even just in like holding two different emotions, you know, that those two things can exist at once.
0: I'd like to thank Nesrin for joining us on Mix with What and sharing her experience as an entrepreneur. One of the greatest lessons I've taken from these conversations is that identity is so much more than what we're mixed with. And who we are is often a combination of what we do and how we show up in the world. Nazmin's story is a reminder that where we come from and our personal experiences are preparation for all of us to step into our purpose. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Mixed With What? And don't forget to leave a review, subscribe to the podcast, and join the conversation on IG at Mix With What Podcast.